Amen. I'll ask you please to open God's word with me at John chapter 4. John's gospel and the chapter 4. And we'll commence our reading at verse 46. John's Gospel, chapter 4, commencing at the verse 46. And let us read the Word of God together. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, He went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour, and the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of his word to all of our hearts for his glory. We'll bow in prayer as we come now to consider some thoughts from the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, We do seek thy face now for help at this time as we consider the word of God. We pray for the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the word. We pray, Lord, for understanding and the receiving of the word. We pray, Lord, that we will all be taught of God tonight through the Holy Scriptures. Lord, that we will learn things that we can put into practice in our daily lives and even in the time of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, do bless thy word to each and every heart. Lord, speak to each and every heart. Lord, we pray that um, as we consider thy word tonight, that we would learn to love Christ that little bit more. Lord, that we would learn to serve him and have a zeal to serve him that bit more in our lives. Heavenly Father, help us to be more like him. Lord, just bless us now and undertake, we pray in our Savior's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. In the passage that I read to you a few moments ago, we are introduced to this man who is known as the nobleman. Now, in the days of Christ, a nobleman would have been a high-class citizen. A commentator suggests that he would have been a petty king, and that is a king who didn't have much wealth, influence, or authority, or perhaps Um, He had someone over him in the office of a king who had more authority than him. 
Now, at the very least, we can say that the nobleman in the time of Christ would have been a member of the court of Herod. And he was driven to the Lord by the circumstances in his life. In the portion of Scripture that I read to you, we see that he was in a state of total desperation. And seemingly there was no help for him on the basis of his position as a petty king. There was no help for him on the basis of his social status or in the court of Herod, wherever he was. No one could help him. The only one he felt could help him now was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finds himself running to the feet of Christ for help. And these events uh, in the scripture reading tonight uh, display to us that this man, as a result of meeting with Christ, he had a radical change brought about not only in his life, but in the life of his family. And therefore, with this thought in mind tonight, and this text before us, I want you to consider this topic with me this evening of the nobleman's encounter with Jesus Christ. The nobleman's encounter with Jesus Christ. See firstly with me the cry of his petition. Because as I said, he comes to the Lord with a desperate plea. And why did he come? Well, the reason he came is given to us in verse 47. It says there, And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him, for his son was at the point of death. Now the news of the Savior and his works had spread like wildfire and even reached the courts of the high and mighty. For we read in verse 47 that the nobleman had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee. He had heard by word of mouth that Christ was coming to Galilee and this prompted him to go and to seek Christ for the sake of his son. Now, being a nobleman, he would have had the very best resources available to him in order to make his son better. And he probably had exhausted every single one. I would suggest that money was not an issue for this man. Having the best of people around you was not an issue uh, for this man. Having access to the best people was not an issue. Yet now his son was at the point of death. He was in desperate need. He was at his wit's end. And he heard about this great man, Jesus Christ, the great healer. And he decides he'll go and he'll see him for the healing of his son. Parents, you would do anything for your children, I'm sure. If your child was sick and you heard about some hospital on the other side of the world or some surgeon on the other side of the world who could heal them, you would... Uh, make every effort you could to go and see that surgeon uh, to make them better and it's very much the same for this nobleman he was willing to do anything to save his son's life he was willing to try anything now I'm not sure and the scriptures don't reveal uh, what or who the nobleman thought Christ was perhaps he thought that he was a Jewish prophet maybe he thought Christ was some sort of sorcerer but regardless of that he comes to Christ nonetheless but, I won't, but he comes with the wrong attitude because he received a rebuke from the Savior. At the end of verse 47, we read that he asked the Savior to come and see his son, that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And it says in verse 48, Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. 
Now, the, word, the words of the nobleman reveal the content of his heart. For in verse 47, he asked Christ to come down and to heal his son. And these words reveal so much to us about the nobleman. And they give us perhaps an insight to his thinking. Because he asked the Lord to leave Cana, to make the journey to Capernaum, and to physically touch his son for healing. Now on the surface, this is a fair request. He does come to Christ with a degree of faith that he can do it. And perhaps he even comes sincerely. However, I don't think he had the view of Christ that he ought to have had. It's almost as if this man who was at his wit's end thinks, well, I've tried everything. So I might as well try this man who I've heard about, who everyone's talking about. I might as well give it a go and see what happens. Maybe he's not even fully convinced that Christ can do it. But even if he is convinced that Christ can do it, he believes that Christ must come down to Capernaum to do it. He is placing limits on the Lord's power. And the Lord rebukes him in verse 49, for it reads, Except uh, ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now the Lord didn't immediately grant his request, and this response uh, from the nobleman to him, or sorry, this response from Christ to the nobleman might have, all, might have almost been a slap in the face to the nobleman at a time of desperation. But in the Lord's words, we see a mixture of rebuke and lament. And there is a reason for that. Because Christ in this verse 49 is not just speaking about the nobleman. But he is, speak he is speaking about his people, the Jews. He had spent time with the Samaritans who were the scorn of the Jews. And he found a people there who were not merely interested in miracles. They didn't treat him as a mere uh, wonder worker. But they were satisfied by hearing his word, and it stirred up their hearts. And then he went among his own people. And many of them just wanted to see miracles. That's all they wanted. You could almost say that they just wanted to be wooed. And he is confronted with this carnality time and time again. He is confronted time and time again with a weak faith and it seems to, as many suggest, strike a painful chord in the lovely heart of Christ. And what is the issue? What is the problem? The issue was that the people in his own country wanted meaningless displays of power. And they had actual, they had very little actual interest in the person and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the issue. Really, they found more beauty in the things that Christ did rather than who he was. And we see that same carnality today in our land and nation. Many people go to church and they aren't interested in the word of God which reveals Christ. They aren't interested in learning about the person of Christ, about the work of Christ. They just want to go to church and feel good. And see these counterfeit signs and wonders. And have all of the music. And have all of the lightning and the effects. They have no interest in Christ. Christ is not at the center of their affections. And the center of their service. And many people in Christ's day were carnally minded. Just like many today. They may have been religious. But they were carnally minded nonetheless. They didn't really desire Christ or his word. 
They just wanted to see something to woo them. And therefore Christ was grieved. Because Christ required reverence. If you turn with me please to Luke chapter 7. Uh, we see a similar situation in this passage uh, with the healing of the centurion's servant uh, who was also at the point of death. And when the Lord heard that he needed healed, um, Luke chapter 7 and the verse 6 tells us that he made his way to the house to heal the servant. And then in Luke chapter 7 and the verse 7, uh, I want you to read the words of the centurion with me because he says there, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. And we read in verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Friends, this is what Christ desires. He desires that people come to him because of who he is that they come to him because of the beauty of his person, that they come to him because he is the Messiah and he is the Christ of God. That is what he deserves and that is what he desires. He wants to be acknowledged and to be worshipped for who he is. He wanted to be the object of the affections and the worship of his people. And believer, it's still the same today concerning us. We ought to be mindful of the motives of the heart. We ought to be mindful of the state of the heart when we approach God. It's easy for us to come with a heart which is displeasing to God. We read in Hebrews 11 and 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, you could go very deep into that and give some theological explanation, but very simple, very simply, what the writer of uh, Hebrews is saying is that we must come to God with faith. We must approach Him believing He is the God of heaven. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one with all power and all glory. He is the one true God. He is the Lord Almighty. And the all-powerful God. And that's who we come to in prayer tonight. That's who we seek in prayer tonight. And therefore, when we resolve to pray, this is what we must always have on our minds. The one who we are praying to. We must remember who we pray to tonight. It's the Lord God Almighty. He is the one with all power, with all glory, the one with whom nothing shall be impossible. So don't just come with reverence, but come believing that when you pray and when you seek his face concerning an issue, he can answer. He can change. He can change situations. He can step into your circumstances. He can step into your family, your friends, your community. And he can do a mighty work. That's who we pray to tonight in our prayer meeting. This is the cry of his petition. But I want you to see secondly with me the change in his heart. Because the request that he made to Christ was granted. Now the nobleman didn't take much heed to this rebuke initially. For we read in verse 49 after he received the rebuke. 
He continued to ask Christ to come down to Capernaum. He said, Sir, come down ere my child die. Now this man is displaying again, and he is displaying consistently that perhaps he doesn't have the faith that Christ can just speak the word like the centurion had, and his son will be healed. He didn't listen to the Lord's initial rebuke. Now that sort of gives us an insight as to where his mind was. Yet the Lord still had mercy. The Lord displayed wonderful compassion. And he met this man's need for what does it say in verse 50? Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And brethren and sisters in Christ, this ought to encourage us. Because sometimes we have to confess, as I said a few moments ago, that when we come to God in prayer, we often come lacking faith. We often come lacking faith that God can answer our prayers. I know I'm guilty, and I'm sure you would say you're guilty as well. How often have we prayed for something, yet we haven't really believed with all of our hearts that God can answer? We pray for family, but we expect to be back this time next week praying for them again. We pray for revival, but we expect to be praying for it this time next week again. We lack faith in the Lord sometimes. Our prayers are riddled with sin. And a lack of faith. But know this. Jesus Christ is a compassionate saviour. And the Lord is a compassionate God. The Lord loves his people. Yes he rebukes our lack of faith. Yet he will not turn us away. Despite our lack of faith. And why is that? Hebrews 7 and 25 tells us. That Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. And that's why God will never turn us away. Christ will take our sinful prayers. He will perfect them. And He will present them before His Father. And brethren and sisters in Christ, when you pray tonight, you can come with confidence. And you can come with boldness. Because you have an intercessor who ever lives to make intercession for you. And because of that, you will be heard at your Father's throne. That's why we say in Jesus' name, isn't it? Because we pray in his name. He is the one who represents us before the Father. And that's why we can come with boldness, friends. We don't come on our own merits. Because we have none. But we come on the merits and we come on the basis of Christ's blood and on the basis and the merits of his righteousness. That's why we can come with confidence tonight. And Christ granted the nobleman's request, but he only did it partially. You see, I think he required resolve from the nobleman. The Savior said, go thy way. Thy son liveth. Now you'll notice, he did heal his son. He brought his son back from the point of death, but he tells him, go thy way. So he doesn't actually go down to Capernaum to do it. The nobleman had a weak faith and now Christ is saying to him, your son is healed. And he's exhorting him to depart and to let the matter be settled there. He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. Is this not a test of faith? Does this not suggest that a change has been wrought in the heart of the nobleman? I think there's evidence of that because Uh, Verse 50 says, And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. Now notice the contrast. 
between the, uh, the behavior of the nobleman in verses 47, 49, and now in verse 50. In verse 47 and 49, he didn't really believe. But now in verse 50 it says, And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. He no longer required Christ to come down to Capernaum and to physically touch his son for healing. What has happened? Christ has spoken the word. And that's good enough for him. I think it's obvious here that the nobleman has been saved. Because what is a mark of true conversion? It is belief in the word of God. We have a perfect outworking here of Romans 10 and 17. Which says, so, faith, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Christ said, your son is healed, and he believed. During this encounter with the Lord Jesus, the spirit of Christ has come and worked in his life. And therefore, Christ could tell him to go and to trust the word that he had spoken. You'll notice the nobleman came full of doubt, anxiety, fear. Many other emotions, but he left with peace in his heart. Perhaps you can identify with the nobleman. You're here tonight overwhelmed with anxieties, with burdens, with circumstances. One thing this passage teaches us is that the best way to deal with these things is very simply to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a man, his son was at the point of death, he was anxious. He was desperate. He came to Christ. He cast the need before him. And he left with peace in his heart. What does Psalm 55 and 22 say? It says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Believer in Christ, with a worried heart, with an anxious heart, with a heart full of burdens, Maybe a physical burden, a mental burden. Maybe a burden for a family member. Maybe a burden for some need in your life. This is very simply the way to peace. It's come to Christ. Bring it to Him. And leave it at His feet. He knows all about it. He knows what it's like to be heartbroken. He knows what it's like to suffer loss. He knows what it's like to suffer rejection. He knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like. And there's no better one to bring it to tonight than Christ. Bring it to him. This is the change in his heart. But I want you to see finally with me the crowning of his faith. Now when I use that word crowning concerning the nobleman's faith, I'm referring to a victorious climax because what we witness in the following verses regarding the nobleman is a victorious climax of his faith. Because the petition wasn't repeated. At the end of verse 50 we see that he went his way. Christ spoke this word. I would say that the Spirit of God has done a work in his heart and he went his way. There were no more questions. There was no more pleading to be done. The Lord said to him, go your way. And he did that. He doesn't need continual reassurance because the word of God gave him all the assurance that he needed. And there was a peace that was evident in his heart because what we see after in these verses and after he went his way, it displays to us an astounding faith that the peace 
uh, the faith and peace that the word of Christ brought to his heart. We are told in verse 51 that his servants met him to tell him uh, the news of his son being healed. And in verse 52 we read, if you glance at it, uh, then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Now he inquires as to when his son got better. And I don't think he asked this because there was any doubt in his heart that his son was healed. I think he asked this because he desired to have his joy increased and he desired to have his faith further strengthened by the knowledge that Christ's word was indeed true. He got his confirmation in verse 52 because we read there, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth. But in verse 52, what is incredible is what that word yesterday reveals to us. Because after Christ said, thy son liveth, the nobleman didn't initially rush home to see his son. Now the the conversation with Christ took place at the seventh hour, which was around one o'clock in the afternoon. And the nobleman was a four-hour journey from Cana to Capernaum. So it wasn't the case that the journey home would have taken him a full day or he would have had to go overnight to get back home. What the nobleman did in between is not specifically recorded in Scripture. Commentators suggest that the words he went on his way meant that he just went about his normal work and business. So Christ healed his son or Christ told him that his son uh, was healed and he didn't go home. He didn't make the four-hour journey home. He went about his normal business. This was his son who was at the point of death. And what did he do? You could say very simply, he went to work and he didn't rush home to see his son. He went about his uh, normal business. He didn't feel the need to go home. He didn't feel compelled to go home and to see his son and make sure that he was still alive. Because the word of the Savior was sufficient. Here's a man with an astounding faith and peace in his heart. If that was me and one of my family members I would have been straight home. (laughs) I would have planted the foot down and headed back to Porto Vogue. I'm sure you would say the same. You'd want to go home and see them and see that they were alive. And you would still rejoice in the work of the Lord and glorify his name. What did this man do? He went about his normal business. It's almost as if he said, I'll see him tomorrow. This man Christ, he said he's healed. I'll see him tomorrow. Consider the words of John 20 and 29 where we read, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The nobleman was a blessed man indeed. He had not yet seen his son alive. He had not even went back out of mere curiosity. Yet he believes he's alive because Christ has said it. And may this be the pattern of our lives too, Christian. May we be men and women and may we desire to be men and women of faith who, when we hear God's word, when we read God's word, we believe it. So often we get a verse that's very relative and is related to our circumstances. And we think, is that a word in season? And then as the day goes on, we think, oh, that was just a coincidence. We lack faith, don't we? May God make us men and women of faith. 
like this nobleman. Even tonight in prayer, may we leave this prayer meeting saying in our hearts, I've left it before the Lord. He has heard my prayer. And that's enough for me. I'll go home with peace in my heart. God knows. God has heard. God will undertake. And then we see finally at the end of verse 53, it says, And himself believed and his whole house. I'm sure had Christ healed the nobleman's son and sent him home, that would have sufficed and would have brought sufficient glory to the Lord. But what the Lord does in this man's life is a marvelous display of his grace. Because Christ displays grace and mercy, which is infinitely greater than physical healing. This man came to Christ as a sinner, lacking faith. But not only does Christ grant his request, but Christ saves his soul. And not only does he save his soul, but he uses the healing of his son to work saving faith in the household. He granted him household salvation. Do you not read that and think what a wonderful Savior the Lord Jesus is? This man came lacking in faith. And look at the marvelous work the Lord has done in his life. The Lord met the physical need, but he did much, much more. He saved him. He saved his family. We read in Ephesians 3 and 20 that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we see that as an example. We see an example of that in the account of the nobleman. And friends, we must remember when we pray tonight that we come to the same one who the nobleman came to. We, came the, we, we come to the one who is exceedingly gracious and exceedingly merciful. We come to the one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Has he not done it for you before? He hasn't changed. Maybe I've changed, maybe you've changed, but he hasn't changed. He's still the same God that the nobleman came to. He's still the same Savior who has undertook for us in the past. He's the same Savior. Come with the same hope and the same confidence to the throne of grace tonight. And plead for mercy. And plead for grace. God is not a cruel God. He's not a God lacking in love and compassion. He's a good God. He's a loving God. A God of mercy, a God of grace. Yes, he's a God of wrath and a God of justice. And a God of holiness too. And that's why we need to pray. Because he will execute his justice upon sinners among who our families and friends are caught up, will be caught up. Friends, come to him tonight. Come to him full of faith, full of confidence. He saved the nobleman's family. He can save my family. He can save your family. He can save our friends. And as we bring our considerations of the nobleman to a close, what, what we have witnessed in this passage displays to us how right and fitting it is that we come to the Lord in prayer. It's fitting because he is able to answer our prayers. It's fitting because he wants us to come to him in prayer and to worship him and to glorify him. It's fitting and right because he is God. And he has the power of life and death in his hands. And therefore, it's good for us to be in the place of prayer. Perhaps you are like the nobleman and there is something that will drive you to seek Christ and his power tonight. 
then you come to him. Come in your weakness. Come with all of your feebleness because he makes intercession for you. Let us spread the need before him tonight and may the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts for his glory. Amen. Amen. We'll seek the Lord's face in prayer. And I've just been instructed to tell you to pray for the services uh, on the Lord's Day and pray for the sick and the bereaved and all of those in need. And, of course, for the needs that you're burdened for on your own heart. We'll seek the Lord's face.